Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome back to the Big T Trauma Series on Behind the Knife. In this series, we cover clinically oriented material that focuses on how best to care for traumatically injured and critically ill patients. My name is Patrick Georgioff, Trauma Surgery Fellow at the University of Texas Memorial Hermann Red Duke Trauma Institute in Houston, Texas. And today I'm joined by Teddy Puzio, who is also a Trauma Surgery Fellow at the University of Texas in Houston. And today... We're going to talk about Reboa. That's right, Reboa. It's a hot topic, but it's critical to understand how it can, it should be used. Right, how it should be used. So Reboa stands for Resuscitative Endovascular Balloon Occlusion of the Aorta. And in the simplest of terms, uh, this means that we are inserting a balloon occlusion catheter retrograde into the aorta via the femoral artery. And we will get into how you go about actually putting this thing in in a minute. But before we go down that route, let's talk a little bit about indications. Um, now, the precise indications for Reboa use are actually pretty poorly defined. Um, however, the catheter can uh, be considered in bleeding patients in whom thoracic sources of, of hemorrhage and tension physiology have been excluded. Exactly. So by putting in the catheter and blowing up the balloon above the bleeding in the abdomen or pelvis, you can quickly restore aortic pressure and thereby improving perfusion to the heart and brain. But it's critical to understand that the Reboa is contraindicated in the setting of injuries to the neck or chest, as occluding the aorta would just exacerbate bleeding. Right. This is, this is absolutely critical to understand. And this is also what makes uh, Reboa different from resuscitative thoracotomy. So uh, resuscitative thoracotomy, when you think about it, is, is similar in a number of ways to Reboa, as it can be used solely to cross-clamp the descending aorta. So if that's really all you're trying to do and there are no injuries in the chest, again, then Reboa and resuscitative thoracotomy can uh, achieve that goal, that same goal. True, but the resuscitative thoracotomy has additional indications and uses, right? So exactly. if you have an injury to the chest and you need to get in there and repair it, um, uh, or if you have pericardial tamponade and you need to release it, or you want to perform open cardiac massage, then all these uh, reasons are to go – reasons to go with a resuscitative thoracotomy. Right. And and that you know that all those kind of concepts may sound really simple, but they're super important in terms of how you think about that sick or maybe dying patient that's in the trauma bay in front of you. Yeah, and so getting back to the indications, there are a few types of patients that we think about uh, Reboa with. So those patients with abdominal trauma who present in hemorrhagic shock, those patients with pelvic trauma who present in hemorrhagic shock, and then finally, you know, we're not going to cover it today, but um, patients with ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysms, which is kind of where the um, idea of the Reboa catheter came from. All right. Now, before we talk about each of these patient types, let's talk about the three zones of the aorta. All right. Cool. So uh, aorta, 
Zone 1 extends from the origin of the left subclavian artery to the celiac artery. Balloon occlusion of Zone 1 is used for intra-abdominal bleeding. Okay. Uh, so Zone 1, intra-abdominal bleeding. Now aortic Zone 2 extends from the celiac artery to the lowest renal artery. And the Roboa cath catheter should never be inflated in Zone 2 as this would result in mesenteric and, and renal ischemia. All right, and then finally, zone three extends from the lowest renal artery to the aortic bifurcation. Um, balloon occlusion in zone three is used for isolated pelvic and or junctional bleeding. All right, perfect. So let's now work through uh, some of these, these presentations, these patient presentations. So um, patients presenting in hemorrhagic shock with intra-abdominal bleeding require rapid, rapid hemorrhage control, which generally consists of resuscitation and laparotomy. However, some patients may not respond well to resuscitation or may only be transient responders uh, to resuscitation. Uh, some other patients may even be too unstable for transport to the operating room, or uh, you may be worried that they might not tolerate the reduction in afterload uh, that comes with induction agents. So in all of these cases, uh, the patient may benefit from placement of a Zone 1 Reboa. Right. So um, for patients with pelvic trauma who present hemorrhagic shock, Reboa can be used um, in these patients provided they have no evidence of intra-abdominal bleeding. Uh, this is best, uh, perhaps best described use of the balloon occlusion of the aorta in setting of trauma. In fact, there are multiple organizations and institutional guidelines that use Reboa in their algorithms for pelvic hemorrhage. Reboa is um, particularly useful in the setting because the lack of effectiveness of preperitoneal packing compared to angioembolization. But, you know, the problem with angioembolization is that even in the busiest of trauma centers, it can take up to a couple hours for embolization to occur. You know, yeah, in the middle even of the in the very busy ones, right? Right, so waiting on IR to mobilize. Um, also, because abdominal vessels aren't included with Reboa, uh, when it's placed in Zone 3, the risk of ischemia and reperfusion injury is much lower compared to a Zone 1 placement. Okay. Uh, and then and finally, we mentioned ruptured AAA. So, so this is really an, an entire po uh, podcast episode in and of itself. And so we're actually just going to refer back to the uh, fantastic Audible uh, Bleeding podcast that our dear friend Kevin Canary runs. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, you can look to that podcast for more details. It's probably worth mentioning the other um, expanded use of Reboa, which you'll see in the literature. So in the military, uh, they've done... Uh, studies where they looked at prolonged extrication times from austere environments. Um, and then also in um, it's been protocolized in the joint theater trauma systems of cl for clinical practice guidelines. Perfect. Now, Teddy, uh, is there any literature that definitively shows uh, an improvement in outcomes with herbal use? So, no, not definitively improved outcomes. Uh, this is especially true because improvement in mortality following Reboa, you know, it's really difficult to demonstrate as evidence supporting Reboa is evolving and consists of lots of observational data from retrospective reviews. But I think we should go ahead and um, start looking at a couple cases to get kind of a more nuanced understanding of Reboa and how it can be applied to the bleeding patient. Sure. So let's say we have a 45-year-old man who is involved in a high-speed MVC, and on arrival to the trauma bay, his heart rate is 146, his blood pressure is 76 over 52, and oxygen saturation 98% on a non-rib breather. Primary survey is remarkable only for weak femoral pulses. Secondary survey demonstrates bruising on the left hip and thigh and an unstable pelvis. The FAST exam is negative. Chest x-ray is normal. Pelvic x-ray shows an open book fracture of the pelvis. 
So a pelvic binder is appropriately placed and balanced resuscitation is initiated. And the patient's blood pressure improves transiently. Interventional radiology is en route and a repeat fast exam is again negative. So the decision is made to place a uh, Reboa catheter. So Teddy, can you uh, go through the key steps required when uh, placing a Reboa? Sure. Um, the catheter that we're going to talk about today is manufactured by Pritime Medical. And it's the most popular catheter in use in the U.S., and it's wireless, um, which means it's placed without the use of a guide wire. Right. So uh, the catheter can be inserted through a 7 French catheter um, and occludes vessels up to 32 millimeters in diameter. It also has an integrated arterial pressure transducer at the end of the catheter. All right. So to place a catheter, you first place a standard arterial line in the femoral artery. Um, it's important to know that you're targeting the common femoral artery, so take some time to avoid hitting the SFA. You're going to use an 18-gauge um, needle so that you can upsize to a 7 French sheath, um, and you're going to upsize using a standard over-the-wire technique. So once the 7 French catheter is in, you advance a peel-away sheath uh, to cover the curled protective tip of the actual catheter, the Rebeau catheter itself, and you plug the sheath into the 7 French catheter you just placed. Uh, you then advance the catheter. Uh, so, Teddy, how do you determine uh, how far to advance it? Sure, yeah, that's a good question. So for zone 1, you can line the balloon up with the sternal notch um, and measure the distance to the femoral artery insertion site. You basically just hold the catheter above the patient. And, so you, you know, can this just is, hover it above without getting everything uh, dirty? I mean, you're, this is not the most sterile of procedures because it's in the setting of the trauma bay where people are dying. Sure. Um, for zone three, you can line up the balloon to the xiphoid process and measure, measure the distance to the femoral artery again uh, externally on the patient. Right. And, and interestingly enough, uh, cadaver and imaging-based studies have shown that this distance is actually very standard uh, in most folks who are not like super tall or super short. Um, and that is that uh, you advance the catheter in terms of the markings on the actual bar catheter, 46 centimeters for zone one and 26 centimeters for zone three. So again, 46 centimeters for zone one, 26 centimeters for zone three. Uh, and again, those are good guidelines, um, but we kind of stress here at our institution that you must obtain an x-ray to confirm its location. You can also use ultrasound used at some institutions. Um, but You want to do that before inflating, right? Correct. Okay. Um, because there is some variation in, in people, and then you want to um, inflate with saline or some centers use dilute contrast. But So once you do that, how do you know, Patrick, how much you are supposed to put in the balloon? Yeah, so that's a great question. So uh, uh, the manufacturer recommends 8 cc's for zone 1 as a starting point and 2 cc's for zone 3. Um, and what you do is you carefully add... Um, volume to the balloon uh, until you see that physiologic response in terms of a blood pressure response um, uh, to ensure that you are getting uh, a complete if, uh, or partial or complete occlusion of the aorta. All right. And then once it's in, you're not done yet. So you still have to secure the catheter to the patient um, to prevent it from sliding back, which can occur. Uh, there's a little snap that comes in the kit um, that you see on central lines. But similarly um, to a central line, this, this actually just holds the catheter in place, but not completely. So you actually need to keep yeah, pressure on the this catheter. This is kind of tough because um, it really does like shoot the – if you inflate the balloon – uh, uh, and you get a good return of pressure, it'll actually shoot the balloon yeah, down then, the patient's aorta, like in a very real way. And the first time you, if you don't pay attention to this, you'll realize it kind of the hard way when you're 
in the OR and you're you know, down the, and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, well, um, that's and, not where we put it. Right. right. It's, and so to that end, it is critical that you make note of your insertion length. So, so wherever you um, uh, advanced the, the Reboa 2, you took your image, you had an x-ray per se, you want to mark that length and you want to have someone, anyone, manning that catheter at all times, literally holding on to it, making sure that thing is not wiggling uh, out of the aorta. Well, and... and the length and also the time that you put it up. Sure. So that you mark those two things, and then the next step is go to the OR or go to IR for definitive control. Right. Okay. So uh, a little summary. So we discussed placement via a seven French catheter. So not not that big of a catheter in the femoral uh, artery, and that's again the common femoral artery. Uh, we talked about advancing that Reboa to the sternal notch for zone one placement and xiphoid process for zone three placement. And again, we're just going to kind of measure that out uh, over the patient uh, before placing it. And that Reboa is indicating in bleeding patients without thoracic uh, injuries. Um, so so how does it actually work, Teddy, and, and what can we say about outcomes? All right. Well, there are a myriad of feasibility studies that demonstrate the effectiveness uh, application of Reboa and the associated rise in blood pressure. Outcome data is limited, and there's really no randomized data. How survival is affected is not truly known for certain. Right. So survival could actually be improved for some patients, but identifying which patients uh, might benefit remains extraordinarily difficult. In many cases, Reboa may not substantially alter the outcome either because the patient's injuries could be handled without conventional techniques or because their injuries are actually devastating and they're going to die anyways, right? Yeah, th- this population of patients is so hard to study because there are a group of patients that are dead and you can put a rebel on them and they're going to stay dead regardless. There are patients that, you know, may live regardless of whether or not you put a rebel in them. It won't change the outcome. But figuring out that group of people who are going to die unless you put a rebel in them, that's... That's what's yeah. really hard to study. Yeah, and to me, it actually, when I think about it, I really think it's, it's kind of like ECMO. It's like, who needs ECMO? Right, you don't exactly. know, were they going to do fine without it? You or were they going to do crappy without it? So, yeah. so we don't know. So let's do, let's do a brief little kind of lit review. So there's, there's three studies that I think the are worth. Yeah, yeah, the big ones that are worth. We'll discuss. We'll talk about some numbers and stuff. We'll try to spell it out as, as plainly as possible to, so it kind of gets through in podcast form. Uh, but these are worth kind of knowing about so you – because you got to know the numbers in these studies if you're going to be doing something like throwing a Reboa in, in, a, in a very sick patient yeah, in the trauma there. bay. Uh, so, so three recent studies uh, that explore the outcomes following Reboa use. And so the first is a nationwide analysis of resuscitative endovascular balloon occlusion of the aorta in the civilian population. So this was uh, published uh, by Joseph et al. in JAMA Surgery this year. Uh, this was a case-controlled retrospective analysis of 2015 to 2016 TQIP data. And out of over 500,000 trauma patients, there were 140 Reboa patients carefully matched with 280 non-Reboa patients. So the mechanism of injury was blunt in over 90% of the patients. While there was no significant differences between the two groups in the amount of blood transfusion and length of stay, there was a difference in uh, complications in that the Reboa group had higher rates of mortality, acute kidney injury, and lower limb amputation. Yeah, so the mortality rate was significantly higher in the Reboa group as compared with the non-Reboa group. So Reboa uh, mortality was 36%, non-Reboa mortality 
19%, again, fairly low mortality rates. So in carefully matched, mostly blunt trauma patients, Roboa resulted in no decrease in blood transfusion, higher rates of acute kidney injury, lower limb amputation, and increased mortality. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, certainly uh, there is a very, very real chance of selection bias in terms of who these catheters are going into um, uh, based on the retrospective uh, nature of this study. But, again, we're we're highlighting the three. This is one of the three biggest sure. studies and the best data, again, with the caveat that this data is really not yeah, and as we it's move, hard to interpret. As we move forward along the years, the, the studies get a little bit better. So the, the second study is a description of the University of Maryland shock trauma experience with Roboa. So this paper was written by Brenner et al. It was published in February 2018 in JAMA Surgery. So they looked at um, patients between 2013 to 2017 at shock trauma, and they studied 90 um, Roboa patients, which were mostly used for traumatic arrests. Right. So for patients with severe traumatic hemorrhage, 30-day survival was listed as 60% um, high. That's a high survival rate. For patients with traumatic arrest, of which uh, mostly uh, most were blunt, return of spontaneous circulation was achieved in 58%, again, awfully high. Uh, but uh, it's important to note that of those that achieved ROSC, less than half made it to the OR, and only 10% were alive at 30 days, although, um, as reported, they were all neurologically intact. Hmm. Well, so in the discussion, the authors suggest that Roboa, which was placed in the operating room in all the survivors of traumatic hemorrhage and arrest, may be a superior alternative to resuscitative thoracotomy in the correct patient population. This, um, I think this is an excellent segue to our last paper, which actually compares Roboa to resuscitative thoracotomy. In this paper, uh, published in JAX in May 2018, Brenner and colleagues from the AAST Aorta study group compare Zone 1 Reboa to resuscitative thoracotomy use in ED patients, all of whom presented without penetrating thoracic injury. Important point. Try to get two groups that were similar and groups that wouldn't get a Reboa to begin with. Right. And this is really the kind of study you want, right? This is what we're trying to answer. So 285 patients were included, and 41% of these suffered uh, penetrating injury. Again, not thoracic, though. So out of these patients, 71% underwent uh, resuscitative thoracotomy, and 29% underwent zone 1 Reboa at the discretion of the trauma team, which means, again, wasn't randomized. It depends on the decision at the time. So survival beyond the ED, meaning they made it out of the emergency department, was significantly higher in the Reboa group, 63% versus 44%. What does survival beyond the ED truly mean? It's hard to know. Right. Um, but survival to discharge um, was also higher in the Reboa group. Um, it was 9.6% in the Reboa group and 2.5% in the resuscitative thoracotomy group. Right, so a big drop. Uh, so, you know, very interesting finding, again, at, at high risk for selection bias. Um, it, it is important to note that, you know, when compared to resuscitative thoracotomy patients, Reboa patients had significantly lower rates of penetrating injury and higher initial blood pressure presentation. Uh, so uh, those were statistically significant differences. So, Teddy, what's really the take-home about this, yeah, I mean, this murky data? <laughs> the, the murky take-home. So the take-home is there's really no randomized data comparing Reboa to resuscitated thoracotomy in bleeding patients without thoracic trauma. You know, it's a tool that we use in trauma, and really how much it changes the outcomes in these patients with dismal outcomes to begin with, it, it's really hard to know. Yeah, and I think, you know, most practically and in, in, in really where it's used the most um, 
and safest really is in zone three. Yeah. Where you maintain perfusion to everything above essentially the aortic bifurcation there. Um, uh, and I think we're talking a little bit more about that. Uh, so, Teddy, for our listeners that haven't used Reboa before, maybe never have used it, or they use it very rarely, what are some of the practical considerations that should be taken into account when you're deciding whether or not to deploy the Reboa? So you're, you're literally, you know, a, a, a gnarly trauma comes in, hemorrhagic shock. You're in the trauma bay, and you have to think through all these steps. We talked about seven French sheets, this and that. You got the thoracotomy tray looking at you that's, you know, on, on the tray in the corner. Too. You really got to – what are some of the practical things? Yeah, so there's a few things that you should have some familiarity with. So the first one is you should be comfortable placing a femoral A-line. You know, and this is a big change in how trauma patients are managed. You know, at our, at our institution – pretty much any hypotensive trauma patient that rolls in, unless it's immediate straight up, um, they're going to get ephemeral A-line. Um, this is, you know, you don't want to be kind of spending time in the trauma bay, wasting time when you should be in the OR stopping bleeding. Um, the other thing that you also don't want is to be placing your first Reboa in a patient who is crashing. So you really need to get some experience with this um, device before you use it. And one of the best ways to, to do that is probably with the American College of Surgeons' BEST course. Um, it, this is a, it stands for Basic Endovascular Skills for Trauma, and it really offers a hand-on Reboa training with, with perfused cadaver models. Right. So remember, too, that it can be challenging to place a line in a severely hypotensive patient, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> they don't really have much of a blood pressure, and you're, you know, you're, you're, especially if they're bigger, um, and you're searching around for the vessel. That that's tough, and or maybe old patients, right, with real crunchy vessels yeah. that can be challenging to get that A line, and even in a normal circumstance. So, in you know, once you introduce a new gizmo like this into the algorithm, you need to be sure that you know we're keeping focus on the big picture, right? Yeah. You can't be focusing on the Reboa. Right. The, the, the Reboa is the tool. The goal is time to hemorrhage control. And if you're wasting time with the Reboa, then you're not really getting right. hemorrhage and control. I, it's you know, probably one of the most important parts of the podcast is that it can be very dangerous to fixate on on, on Reboa catheter. Or for that matter, you can choose any other kind of kink in the, kink in the normal care uh, or introducing something new. But, you know, super dangerous. Yeah, agreed. Now, what about – so? Uh, what about other complications from the Reboa? Right. So we're, we're talking about Reboa. We're talking about how we use it. But this does not exist in a vacuum. Uh, you know, there are complications to using Reboa. Um, and uh, the first would be access issues. So arterial access and balloon positioning can result in aortic dissection, perforation of the aorta, rupture, and or embolization of aortic plaque. Now, definitely rare complications, but these are Real risks. Yeah, real that you should know about and, and, and have a plan um, for dealing with these complications. But what about ischemia? Sure. So ischemia, right? So Rebo requires that we intentionally occlude the aorta. So everything distal to that balloon is going to be ischemic. And there's actually no hard and fast rule that says how long that balloon can be up, especially when you're talking about zone one. But the less ischemia, the better, right? Um, again, particularly important for zone one, as the entire abdomen below that balloon is going to be ischemic. People always ask what the maximum time is. I mean, the answer is really as long as it takes. In these patients, that's literally exsanguinating. Right. The alternative is hemorrhagic death in front of your eyes. Right. Zone, so, yeah, right. So <laughs> if you're putting a catheter in zone one, that patient is 
terribly sick. So the idea yes. of, oh, it's 20 minutes that's max. 40 minutes. Now, there are animal models that people have used, and, and they do put up for 20 minutes. You can look and see what kind of effects you have on the gut and whatnot. But, but the answer is exactly what you just said, Teddy. It, it's as long as it takes. Um, now, some Reboa users will let the balloon down intermittently to allow for distal perfusion. Uh, you can also perform partial Reboa, where the balloon is uh, not fully inflated, and this allows for some degree of distal flow. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly we've seen these concepts utilized in practice, but this is not anything formalized by any degree. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you can study that in the lab, but again, in these patients, it's, it's really hard to formally study them systematically. Right. Um, you know, but I think we should, uh, also mention that simply insertion of the sheath, the seven French sheath itself can cause extreme, extreme extremity ischemia, um, de- due to decreased flow and thrombosis. Right. So leg ischemia and... And, uh, you know, while we are certainly worried about mesenteric ischemia and things like shock liver and acute kidney injury, really the more immediate problem that's at least actually in your and I's time here in fellowship that yeah. presents itself is that the legs clot off. Yep. Right? Yeah, we've seen so that. it's not, you know, we can keep, we've had successful use of the Reboa, right? Zone one applied bad injury in the belly, get in there, get control of the bleeding, take down the Reboa. Yeah. The patient is somewhat resuscitated. You're kind of stabilized now. You're making that shift to get to the ICU, and you'd go check the pulse in the foot, and they're gone. Yep. We, you know, we've had that multiple times this year where we um, – that exact scenario where you're, you have a great save, you get to the end of the case, and then, you know, they're pulseless. And now you're stuck in the OR for an additional period of time performing angios and thrombectomies um, when really you need to be getting that patient off the table. Right, right. Without a doubt, frustrating. I mean, it's a ter- that's a that's a terrible because that the whole thrombectomizing that, that can take yeah, you can add hours on. Mm-hmm. So another complication. You do get another case out of it though. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> sorry, that's <laughs> another complication. Certainly, that can occur uh, after balloon defa- deflation is is a reperfusion injury. So once blood flows return to the ischemic tissue, um, certainly bad humors can be released. That's thing you know, things like potassium, nitric oxide, other inflammatory. Mediators, and this can lead to cardiopulmonary instability as well. Um, and so, you may see this after prolonged Reboa use in Zone Three, also for pelvic fractures. And you want to be in communication, right? Right. Uh, you read my mind. That's that's probably With one of the most important people. things. Is you know, the, because they don't see what you're doing with that balloon, right? You're cross clamping the aorta from the inside, and they don't always know whether the balloon is up or down or what you're getting ready to do. Whereas you know, when you are in the chest and you have the aorta cross clamp, at least they can know when you're coming down the cross clamp. So, very, very important point. And all this should we talked about communicate this before, right? uh, recording the time balloons up, just yeah. like you do for a cross clamp, the time you're on and off your aorta. What about um, sheath removal? Sure. So the newest version of Reboa, like we talked about, requires a seven French sheath, and this does not require any kind of formal closure device or sutures upon removal. This requires steady pressure, but it's still a sizable sheath through an artery. Uh, and so if removal is not done correctly, if pressure is not held correctly for the right amount of time, a bleeding can most definitely occur. So, so you don't you don't let the July intern hold pressure on this? I mean... <laughs> you could. I could. You get another case. <laughs> but, but the other thing to, I think, also worth pointing out is, you know, you do this big, long case and this super sick patient and, you know, you get a good save... You don't just take the sheath out at the end of that case, right? You're right. You're exactly right. You're, you're bringing that patient back up to the ICU. Yes. You're watching them, right? You're resuscitating. Only when you're happy with 
all the stuff that's going on. And in reality, this, do you take that out? Right. It's, you know, these patients are it's a damage control mode. So it and a lot of times it's the next day or yeah. you know even longer before their coagulopathy is corrected and it's safe to take it out. All right. And again, then that kind of, that puts that patient at risk for especially that leg that the catheter is you know the leg that the sheath is in. There's just the seven sheath yeah. So yeah. all right. Um, Let's finish with a quick review. So, Roboa is contraindicated in the setting of injuries to the neck or chest, as occluding the aorta in these patients would exacerbate bleeding. Um, aortic zone one extends from the origin of the left subclavian to the celiac artery. Balloon occlusion in zone one is used for intraabdominal bleeding, patients with a positive abdominal fast. Aortic zone two extends from the celiac artery to the lowest renal artery. This is the no-go zone. Roboa catheter should never be inflated in zone two. This would result in mesenteric and renal ischemia. Right. So certainly zone one results in mesenteric and renal ischemia as well. But we're talking yeah. about this is you don't need to be there, right? right? You're either above it or you're below it. So uh, zone two, no-go. So zone three extends from the lowest renal artery to the aortic bifurcation. Uh, in area, balloon occlusion in zone three is used for isolated pelvic and or junctional bleeding. Now, for zone one, you line the balloon up with a sternal notch and measure the distance, again, the balloon, because the tip of the catheter is longer than the balloon. We didn't mention that earlier. So you line the balloon up to the sternal notch and measure the distance to the femoral artery insertion site. For zone three, you can line the balloon up with the xiphoid process and measure the distance to the femoral artery insertion site. And we mentioned this earlier, but the pulse fertility of the aorta will often cause that balloon to slide right on out of the artery. So it's always good to make a note of your insertion length and have someone manning that catheter the whole time. Even if you put that clip on there and you suture it in, that really, you it's really a, need it's a, a, it's a false sense of security. It is. You need a person looking clip. at it, right? And while there are a myriad of feasibility studies uh, that demonstrate the effective application of Reboa, and its associated rise in blood pressure above the balloon, the outcome data is no good. No bueno. It's limited. Know. There's no randomized data. Uh, we talked about the three main studies it's worth knowing about and being able to discuss, uh, but, we, but we really just don't know how survival is affected um, by Reboa. Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. That wraps it, us for, wraps it up for us today. Um, you are now ready to dominate the day. Until next time, dominate the day. 